namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uttang dhammang sanghang namasami Sometimes in handling the conflicts in our lives, the most useful things that we can do are often quite subtle shifts, shifts of attitude, shifts of attention. Uh, Sometimes we don't even realize we're really doing anything because it can be that subtle sense of just the kind of slight more openness or spaciousness or empathy with what's what we're experiencing rather than say taking sides judging it trying to get rid of it trying to make something change wishing we were some experiencing something we're not experiencing all kinds of actions we don't necessarily even recognize as actions because they're they're kind of reflexes they're not voluntary they're they're just reflex activities that that still have a very powerful effect on the mind a kind of unconscious or reflex um, you know, tension about ourselves or, or reflex uh, avoidance of us of our conflict. You're experiencing some sense of conflict or agitation, and we, something is kind of just flusters and bumbles and gets out of the way. You know, D- you know, so it just skips off the point. The little panic, and then we just space out somewhere. It's a Things we don't really consciously do, it's they become habits, you know. And you get these kind of pointy, edgy places where there's a tension between two choices and then you're just kind of numb, uh, I don't know, <laughs> space out. <laughs> you know, or, we, or we speed up and try to make, you know, trying to push our way through to some conclusion or another, you know, push, push a bit of willpower or or look for a viewpoint, you know. You know, we feel some conflict with other people about, we find a view. Well, it's like this, or you should be like that, or the Buddha said this, or the way it's supposed to be is this, you know. So we, we someone searches for a, a nice, nice view, nice, steady, reliable view that we take refuge in. And then, right, that's got rid of that messy, conflicting, dithery, uncertain state of ambiguities that often we we experience you know, in our lives because we, you know, that's what life is about. Really, you have a kind of a sense of a constancy, however illusory that is, of some coherence that you're experiencing as yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you got some, you know, you don't know quite what it is, but there's some kind of fundamental sense of well, here I am. You know, something that's relatively constant reference point, a location point, there's all kinds of things happening to it. Pleasant, unpleasant, agreeable, disagreeable, confusing, certain, um, you know, so there's there's a kind of ripple going on. And some of that we can kind of just open up to and flow with, some we rather appreciate, some we just kind of feel a bit flustered by, you know, other people's energies, other people's attitudes. Um, things moving too fast, things moving too slow, things being messy, things being too um, tight or rigid, you know, or seeming that way anyway, you know, because 
I'm kind of my pattern is like this, and then somebody else's pattern is another way. Somebody else's way of feeling normal feels kind of uptight or speedy or messy or it's over emotional or under emotional. <laughs> so I guess some sense of Ugh. you know, and then there's a, there's a bit of conflict, and then what happens around that there's a bit of conflict? One of two things fundamentally. One is they're wrong some way they're wrong, blame, bit of blame, or I'm wrong, it's my fault, guilt, you know, something wrong with me, you know, so you get one goes out, projection, one goes in, introjection, something wrong with me, oh well, you know, try and make myself better, shape up, or hope nobody notices, or make some gesture of placation, you know, or something wrong with them. So you, when something wrong with them, we come up with a viewpoint. It's like this. It should be this way. Everybody does it this way. This is what we're about. Bong. <laughs> Bamo. You know, they shot you down. <laughs> These kind of reflexes that can occur just because conflict and ambiguity is, is, a, is an edgy experience. We feel unsteady with it. And there's this kind of really fundamental urge to feel steady, assured, safe, secured, on the right side, okay, grounded, you know, whatever it is, we feel comfortable there. So, and yet, we want to feel that, and yet we're in a, in a kind of context which is always, you know, rattling us, touching us, brushing us, nudging us, wobbling us, you know, wobbling against that, you know. And you kind of, well, so what do we do, you know? And the unwise being, when they feel that wobble, when they feel that edge of something's not the way that I like it or I feel comfortable with or I feel okay or assured with, the unwise being, it's not a matter of intellectual wisdom, perhaps wise is the wrong word, but unawakened or narrow, or who hasn't really um, fulfilled themselves, not really awakened, um, unclear, confused being, tends to react around that edge, and they, there's a rush, a spin of some kind. And we kind of fluster, and then a strategy comes up, either fight, flight, freeze, you know, wait till it's gone away, ask somebody else to sort it out for me, panic, you know, blame somebody, blame myself, these kind of frizzles go on, grab a viewpoint, and suddenly we're actually, we go into a, a kind of reactive spin, and this is you know you find the kind of some of these reactive spins get so familiar, you know they're not they're not deliberate they're reflexes, they get so familiar that track again that pathway again that what is familiar becomes felt as myself. What is familiar becomes experienced or sensed as, well, me, this is me, this is where I am. And then someone who's really unwise actually then tries to um, sanctify that that (laughs) confusion. (laughs) Like, once reactions become divine wisdom or or fundamental truth or, you know, Rights and wrongs, you know, 
and it's very often the case, you know, when, when <coughs> people get into arguments, as the heat builds up, people get more and more convinced of their rightness. Their rightness becomes more and more sanctified, you know, doesn't it? When you get into conflicts, and something that wasn't so clear becomes absolutely crystal clear, this is absolutely right, you know. And so the degree to which that quality of, of conviction occurs, the degree to which it's actually, you can feel it kind of pulsing in your nerve endings, that's the degree to which it's deluded. <laughs> Truth doesn't have to be fought over, it should stand up by itself. <laughs> Truth is there when you actually relax. It's what stands by itself. You've got to kind of fight for it, it isn't, it's not there, is it? You're creating it. Your, your energy is holding it up. It should be something that you step back from and see what's standing when you, when you let go. What speaks for itself. That's, that's what we call truth. When you're in balance. Not when you're revved up and forcing and, and um, you know, panicking and blustering and aggressive or freak, frightened or whatever it is. Mm. But these, these are common responses that we, we have as a kind of, the, well, the unwise or the unawakened aspects of our consciousness, of our being, operate in those ways. You know, they kind of go into this fluster and blur, panic, fight, flight, freeze experience. And then, you know, unwise, we take that as being somehow valid, you know, or okay, and then we may even, um, you know, set up a kind of philosophy that, that sanctifies it, you know. Religions even, <laughs> fundamentalist beliefs that sanctify those kind of uptight attitudes or uh, patriotism or ideolo- ideological positions that, that actually sanctify violence and um, um, things of this nature. You know, the, the mass panic. Mm. Like the story of this, what they call the Salem witch trials, you know. You heard that, that famous incident. Where somebody says there's evil around, you know. So, so the people... Suddenly it becomes true. Because everybody panics and, and believes in something and starts blaming. Yeah. And then as you blame somebody, you actually see that which you blame in them. Your mind projects it. <clears throat> this is obviously, these are gross examples. A lot of it's much subtler than that. Mm. And so the most powerful things we can do at that edge of where we don't feel so steady, it's just that it's very is it's subtle. It's just like just just slow down, just wait. No, you don't try and fix anything, have any conclusions. Don't look for solid ground. This is actually a subtle shift, and it's really quite difficult for our our um, that, that compulsive quality. When you feel panicky, you immediately want some solid ground. You want a position. You want to have right. Yeah. Just that subtle shift into, well, 
just wait, you know. Just uh, slow down. Let, it, let something speak for itself. Just, mm-hmm. This is where it becomes uh, very helpful to have a, you know, phrases and techniques that are about acceptance. Acceptance of, of one's chaos, of one's question, of one's riddle, of one's conundrum, of one's unsolvable. You know, there's the bitterness that seems unsolvable. You know, we have our depressions or our anxieties or our cravings or our lusts or our madnesses of one kind or another. The thing that we really want to just kind of brush over, push aside or not notice or, you know. So then the way I say acceptance is such a helpful phrase. Mm. Because it's just moment putting on hold the the panic, the reflex, the reactions, deliberately putting on hold. And what it doesn't mean is acceptance of behaviour. It doesn't mean, okay, accept the fact that I'm going to get nasty. That's the way I am. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean I'm going to, now. I'm okay with with bawling at you or or um, you know um, being unpleasant or whatever. No. It doesn't mean acceptance of the level of behavior. It means acceptance of the level of energy. We accept or we try, we train, we, we begin to put a label, if you like, on the, the chaotic, uncertain energies that, that start to make us feel edgy and uh, freaky and uh, nervy and reactive. Just, just, you know, before it moves into behaviors, get there and just accept that that stuff, that wobbly, dreamy, chaotic thing, as, uh uh-huh, this is just energy moving. So this is a kind of level, if you like, beneath our personality. Personality, if you like, sits on top. It's it's the formed piece that sits on top of this, of a more fundamental energetic experience. By which I mean that on a fundamental level we feel continually throbs of sensation, pulses, slight mood shifts, um, you know, rising of energy, spacing out, you know, being excited. That's all just happening continually. And on top of that, there's this person trying to kind of manage it like a sailor on top of, on a rocking ship, going, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. You know, and they are okay in a way. You know, they've learned how to manage on that particular boat, mostly, most of the time. Not all the time, most of the time. Some of the time, anyway. Or at least uh, when people are looking, or, you know. (laughs) So at the moment, you realise really that that very often the, the sailor can't actually manage the ocean. They can't manage the ship, but they can uh, uh, they can ride it out to a degree. But the important thing is not to really to to get to be even a better sailor, but to really um, accept the ship, accept the rocking of the ship in the ocean of be of 
sentiency. So it's kind of another level down, if you like, which we often enter in meditation. So the aim of meditation, you actually listen past the narratives and the chatter and the personal, you know, domestic dramas of your life into the underlying currents. You listen through that. You feel the underlying currents of of um, what what's welling up and what's sinking, what's bristling. You feel those kind of energies. You start to just, you know, shift your attention through the the pitter-patter of internal dialogue into the underlying um, sentiency patterns and just feeling yourself. No, that's very, very important. To, to, then that's what you accept. You go, there's a sense of, of what's very important there. Then is to is to just um, get the whole of that, the whole of that experience. It's going to widen your attention, and um, that widening of attention is accompanied by this sense of the direction we're looking for. Now is not forward. It's not make to a conclusion, not to what, where's this going to, how do, how do I make this into something else, or, um, or what does this mean? We're not looking to, to extend a demeaning out of it or find a conclusion of it, because we're not moving forward. Instead, we're just opening to it. We're opening, widening, slowing down, steadying. So, so you find almost the, there's enough space in awareness to really get around that that uh, chaotic piece. And then when, you, when your awareness gets wide enough, it's like that, that chaotic piece has got enough room to sort of shake itself around and settle down. And as, you, as it settles down, uh, then what's left is a kind of a, a quality of something like luminous or numinous, a knowing, um, soft kind of not conceptual knowing but a sense of presence, awareness, luminous quality that feels very comfortable. Mm. So because it feels comfortable and it feels um, balanced then various forms of craving don't get hold because you feel comfortable where you are. system feels comfortable. The various forms of um, defence don't occur because you you feel you feel comfortable. There's nothing really bothering you, yeah. so you, you get an uncontracted state. The great heart, the great mind. Um, so this is, in a way, this is the kind of we might say the the fundamental reference point where. Um, the, the patterns the, the, of, of confusion or constriction or agitation can undo themselves, can get undone. And you always, every time, you, you, you know, because when you, as you, you can touch into that, you have to really know that that's happening on this level of being rather than on a personal level. Because one of the problems that can occur with any meditation is that we don't, we're not clear about what, there's a confusion around the levels that, that we're experiencing things at. So you can experience a sense of release at a level of being 
And then you think, oh, well, I've, I've got, I've done it. I've, yeah, I've sorted that out. No, you didn't. I haven't sorted it out at all. Because that, that I am is operating somewhere else. <laughs> you know, the I am bit, the self bit, sits on top of that. It's like the sailor saying, oh, I've made this ship float. I finally made a ship. Say doesn't make a ship float. Ship float. <laughs> Ship's nature is to float. You know. But um, so you know, you can easily get this uh, wrong interpretation of, of experiences. So it's very important to to know you know where acceptance occurs and what that really means. How you do it. So we're not really trying to accept ourselves or accept other people or accept wars and conflict and uh, you know and these things. We're just learning to to instead of reacting to that turbulence that these experience that these phenomena can cause in us can engender in us. We're learning. We're trying learning how to to acknowledge and widen around our tendencies to contract, blame, seek answers, um, you know, feel depressed, that kind of rushing inwards where everything sinks down inside yourself, feeling hopeless, or the rushing outwards, you know, setting everybody else up straight or blaming somebody else. We just, just, you know, instead of moving in that way, we're accepting this conflicting experience that we're in so this is why you know in Buddha language Buddhist language you say that the first uh, sense of conflict or dukkha is to be fully known it means to be fully known you have to open it up you know it doesn't mean you've got all the intellectual ideas about it it means you, you fully sense it you get bigger until so your sensing gets almost bigger than it. Your awareness gets bigger than the conflict. You have some space around the conflict. You can slow down your reactions to that conflict. You can rest your reactions to that conflict. You can live in that conflict. Because and the bigger you get with it, the more, the smaller the conflicting experience is registered in your life. So it's, it's like, so as you get bigger than that, the, the com- it starts to dissolve the conflict in, in, your, in your life. And then so this is how dukkha is, is, or conflict, stress, confusion, dissatisfaction is, is gradually dissolved or released from. And this is actually something that, uh, you know, is what you can do. You can do it, yeah, you know, it, it, there's a op- opportunities that are occurring all the time. So we have a, you know, the very, and it's a matter of, of sometimes just learning how you translate the apparent situation that you experience yourself occurring in 
to a real scenario about being. Mm. So when we look at, when we experience our life on the level of self, it's rather complex. There's my job, my relationships, my duties, my responsibilities, possibilities, my past, my education, things I could do, things I should do, things I might do, things that would be nice to do, places, people, things, possibilities. It's very, it's very complex. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's uh, you know, trying to live your life from that, from, with that at, your, at the center is very difficult. Because there's, there's, there's thousands and thousands of possibilities and permutations of what one should be. Because the self is actually formed um, in relationship to other people and to potentials. You know, what I could be, what I should be, what I might be, what I will be, what I won't be, what I dread I won't be, what I hope I won't be, what I fear I might be. What I fear she thinks, I hope I wouldn't be. What? You know? <laughs> and so on, you know. What my grandfather said I never should be. And there is kind of, there is opt, you know, potentials that, that, that actually have an effect. So you, you need to translate that down to, so part of the experience of meditation is actually starting to almost, as you're listening through this, this crackle, this static of stuff, of self-being and possibilities, that you're trying to listen to, the, not ignore it, and yet not, listen, not, not get caught in it either. You listen to the themes underlie it. And what's the emotional theme? This is anxiety. This is uh, fear. This is... Um, Resentment, irritation, this is uh, craving, this is hunger. Uh, and then say also the positive ones, this is joy, this is loving. And you, you start to sort of just get down to some fundamental qualities. And you, you maybe take refuge in, in the more healthy aspects, like the loving or the joyful or the grateful or the contented, so that you don't just get continually push to the edge of where your, where your stress is. You find some way of making it, you know, recollecting the non-conflict in your life, recollecting the contentment in your life, recollecting the physical health that you have, you know, or the mental health that you have, or, you know, just the warmth of your own body, just bringing that into your mind. So you've got something that takes you away from the real panicky edge where things feel very difficult. And from that place, you can then, it gives you this sense in which uh, conflict, although it is to be understood, it also is to be understood as not an ultimate state of truth. It's a relative experience about a particular edge that we need to, to dissolve. But you only can dissolve it once you recognize it for what it is. Hmm. Like, uh, you know, if you've got a, um, a thorn in your finger, or you re- then that, that finger becomes the most largest part of your anatomy, probably. <laughs> I don't know, if you ever have a, like a, a little 
ulcer on your tongue, for example. Maybe ulcer on your tongue may be the size of a pinhead, but it seems like your, your whole being is ulcer. Because <laughs> everything that you taste just touches that off. You know? And it should rather like the dukkha, the edge of suffering, of stress. It's just, it's that. It's like Buddha called it uh, like a piece of dust in the eye. You've got a piece of grit in your eye. It seems like your whole eyeball feels like that, doesn't it? So yeah, to understand it is to know that particular edge. And it's, it's, a, it's an important piece. But it's only, you can only really release that once you begin to get some sense of what it, you know, it's, its scope. That there is also the non-suffering. Then you go, oh. Okay, now what's the mind like there? What's the bot? What does it feel like there? Then you've got some way of recognizing your mind doesn't have to get continually trapped at that particular place when it panics. So you can then kind of widen your awareness to the to the to the non-suffering, and then then that suffering can be accepted. That's the difference between meditation and obsession. You know, when we sit here, we can do either. We can have obsession practice or meditation practice. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's difficult to tell the difference because <laughs> you can sit here and do either of them, really. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> so obsession practice, you sit here and you just get to a particular thought and you're just spinning it, you know. It's like the, the groove, the needle gets stuck in the groove. And, and you think, well, you know, you're really giving it some attention some concentration, some focus. But this isn't meditation. You know. Meditation means that, that, that ability to, to sometimes just do a, quite a subtle shift. You know, when you're experiencing conflict, say, or, or rage, or fear, or worry, or whatever it is, and just that shift, how am I with that? Do, do, how, am I, how am I with that feeling? And it's a bit, oh, never, oh, oh yeah. You know, suddenly you realize your, your, your mind can be bigger than that particular obsession. At that moment, you're not making an issue out of what you're obsessed with, what the mind has got locked onto. So that's the way you kind of accept the conflict so that you can widen your, your, your awareness to a place where there's almost like an energetic expansiveness which can release that. This is one of the, you know, very powerful in its scope, but it's, it's also incredibly hum- humble because to come to that we have to put aside you know, our education, our intelligence, our moral standards, all our carefully um, acquired self-trophies, you know, our uprightness, our rightness, our correctness, our brilliance, our strength, our whatever it is, to put that aside, because it isn't going to get... <laughs> That isn't going to get anywhere, you know. You have to come to this, uh, you know, sense of just 
humility. And one of the things that you can begin to acknowledge, rather wonderful in that, that experience, is when the mind starts to center in its humility, in its acceptance of, of the conflict, of the ambiguous, of the unresolved, waiting, giving it giving all the time in the world as a kind of, as an energy. The turning point is something like a kind of compassion. Uh, uh, You could call it a forgiving or a loving or a compassion or a befriending or an empathy that just comes out of nowhere. It doesn't come blazing out of it. Maybe it does for you, but sometimes it's just a kind of soft, relaxed, putting aside of the wounding, of the tension, of the righteousness, of, and the, you know, into to accepting one's vulnerability, one's fragility. And then this kind of quality of, of compassion arises. So the, these we can call the fundamental traits, fundamental qualities in the, in the level of being. It's compassionate, it's um, luminous, it's got a certain radiant, subtle radiance to it, and it's expansive. It's got a sense of clear, spacious, and compassionate. This is the, uh, the shift, is the shift that turns the world around. Because then instead of, uh, you know, the things I find, you know, something disagreeable, something, something which might seem conflicting with the way I do it, or disagreeable, then instead of getting angry and righteous about it, just you know, there's a sense of realization of more of um, empathy. You know, we all manifest in very specific and particular ways. You know, it's not like uh, we have we belong to different, you know, many different nations, or you know. We belong to, we're a one-off. Everybody's a one-off. There's no such thing as a normal human. (laughs) And yet, one wants to be like you, sort of on the same wavelength as you. So we understand each other and we're with each other. And, you know, we're, we're bonding kind of creatures. And yet we're all very specific and individual. 
And there's a kind of, there's a poignancy about that. But what really brings us together is this, uh, the compassion and the spaciousness and the clarity of knowing. Mm. It's what gives room for all of us to be here. Thank you.